Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Thank you for joining us in worship this morning, this first Sunday of Lent. We begin our Lent to Easter series today, so we'll be in that over the next seven weeks, including Easter Sunday, a series called Waging Peace, a journey with Jesus through Holy Week. At the beginning of Holy Week, Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he cried aloud, If only you knew the things that make for peace. And then Jesus spends each day then confronting injustice, calling out oppressors and contending for peace. But what if, despite our familiarity with the events of Holy Week, we've not fully understood or embraced how Jesus makes peace, and calls us to do the same. So this Lent to Easter, we're going to journey with Jesus through Holy Week and seek to discover anew why he is called the Prince of Peace and what it looks like when we are waging peace like him. The series is based on Jason Porterfield's book, Fight Like Jesus, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week. And this is published by Herald Press. You can check that book out uh, on Amazon or wherever you get your books. We do have a copy of it in our church library if you'd like to check it out. And in addition to that, there's now a collection of books related to this series on the lobby bookshelf uh, close to the the office there in the lobby. Uh, As the series summary indicates, each week we're going to focus on the peacemaking ways of Jesus as we see them from one day to the next during Holy Week. And so for the first sermon in our series, we start at the beginning of Holy Week with Palm Sunday, and a message entitled, A Hammer or a Lamb. The first day of Holy Week is known as Palm Sunday, and it's the day when Jesus, the final week of his life, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey while being lauded as Messiah by many fans and followers. But as we'll see this morning, while many people celebrated his arrival, Jesus wept. He wept. Why? Well, as the hours and the days pass in that week, it becomes clear that the crowds didn't understand who Jesus was, and they ultimately rejected his way of peacemaking. And so in this first message of our series, I'm going to invite us to see the so-called triumphal entry, as we call it, as the key to understanding Holy Week, and then ask that we would open up our hearts to receive and embrace the peacemaking ways of the sacrificial lamb. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you with open hearts and minds 
We acknowledge, Lord, that when we open up the Scriptures, there are things that challenge our way of thinking, our way of living, and rather seek to align the Bible with what we want to do or how we want to be or what we believe. We want to align ourselves with you with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we specifically want to imitate you. We want to know who you are and we want to live as you lived. We want to follow after you. Would you help us to do that, Lord? For we recognize we cannot do it in our own strength. Speak now for your servants are listening and all God's people said, Amen. All right, so get this picture. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem there on Palm Sunday is included in all four Gospels, but each Gospel writer tells the story with slight variations. And you can see the Gospel references to Palm Sunday up on the screen there. I encourage you maybe later today or this week to read and compare these Gospel episodes of Palm Sunday. I know that's one of the things that our small groups will be encouraged to do. So let me just set the context for us just a minute here. So first off, this is a few days before the Passover, this Jewish high festival, and Jesus had been staying in Bethany with his friends, Mary and Martha, where he had raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. Now, no doubt that in raising Lazarus from the dead, he'd been dead for several days, this is the greatest miracle that Jesus had performed so far. And so in seeing this, and upon hearing this news, a large crowd comes to Jesus. He's approaching Jerusalem. The tensions have been building. This is it, many of them are thinking. This is when we make Jesus king. And so knowing their intentions, Jesus begins to plan his not-so-triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the crowd that gathered in Bethany followed Jesus as they intend to parade him into the city. This is, would have been typical of any military, political, uh, especially victorious leader coming to their capital. And according to John chapter 12, verse 12 through 14, it appears that Jesus hopped on a donkey once he began to see the waving of palm branches and hear the shouts of Hosanna. So I want to explain and break apart each piece of this so you can kind of get the picture, put yourself in their shoes, experience it the way they would have. Now, why a donkey? Why would Jesus choose a donkey? That's not the typical animal that a, a conquering king or leader would be riding in. No, not at all. Jesus is fulfilling... Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. If you look there in the end of your Old Testament, you can read where Zechariah talks about the Messiah coming on a donkey. But it's also Jesus making a statement. He's not riding a war horse. He's riding a donkey. <laughs> so you can't miss that. And then they're, they're, they're calling out Hosanna. This is an Aramaic form of two-part Hebrew word, Hosiah, which means help us, and the ending na, which gives it a sense of urgency. Save us now. Please deliver us now. And of course, what about the palm branches? They're not being used here as 
the ancient equivalent of a giant foam hand that we wave at ball games maybe today, or a flag or something of that sort, though it kind of served in that purpose, as we'll see. Rather, though, at the time, they tap into Israel's political memory and they symbolize revolution and independence, which went back 200 years to when the Jewish people, led by the Maccabees, revolted against the Seleucid Empire. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later, so, so hold on to that. Now, how does Jesus respond to this scene that is unfolding? Well, listen to what Luke tells us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 41 and 42. It says, as Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, the things that actually can bring peace, Jesus is saying, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 42, the New Living Translation says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But it is too late now, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Why does Jesus cry over the city, Jerusalem? Well, one, the lack of understanding by his disciples leading up to this day as it relates to messianic expectations. You know, Jesus dealt with this over and over again. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven like the prophet Elijah. Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you are from, and he rebukes them for it. At other times, it says the crowds in his popularity tried to make Jesus king, but he rejects it again and again as his closest disciples seem to think that Jesus is like a King David, that this is the way Messiah is and what Messiah looks like, Jesus rebukes them. Jesus gives them a new thought, casts a new vision. This is why Jesus weeps. To the scene that was unfolding since raising Lazarus is intensifying. They really want to make Jesus king now. And then, of course, a third reason I think Jesus weeps over the city is that Jesus knows what is coming for him and also for the city Jerusalem, as we know will eventually be destroyed in A.D. 70, about 40 years later. If you had only, listen to those words of Jesus, if you had only recognized the things that make for peace, well, what is, what is peace? You know, I'll never forget, uh, around the time of the bombing of Baghdad, uh, George W. Bush said, you have to understand, when we talk about war, we're talking about peace. You, you get that? Listen to that. When we talk about war, we're talking about peace. I think it's important that we define peace because we often read into what peace looks like, what peace is and peacemaking looks like, uh, based on our own culture and certainly our fallen nature. So what is peace according to Jesus? Because he would certainly disagree with George W. Bush. Well, Jesus, having his heart and his mind shaped by the Hebrew Scriptures, has in mind this Hebrew concept of shalom. Would you say that with me? Shalom. You ever heard that word before? What is shalom? Shalom is more than the absence of conflict and violence. Shalom is about the presence of goodness and blessing. So it's not peacekeeping, it's peacemaking. It's, it's doing the sorts of things, as Jesus said, that makes 
for a peaceful world. Shalom is about this presence of goodness and God's blessing. It looks like health and harmony and wholeness in every facet of life. Shalom is about us flourishing in our relationship with God and with others and with all of creation. Shalom, that is God's peace, is what it looks like when everything is as God wants it to be. This is the sort of peace that Jesus worked for in his ministry three years up to this moment, and that he calls still today his followers to actively, uh, actively advance until he comes again to bring the fullness of the kingdom. But of course, we can hear in Jesus' lament that many fail to understand. They fail to understand who he is and what he is about. This shalom of God. And yet, this is what Jesus intends to reveal very plainly to us, not just on Palm Sunday, but during all of Holy Week. As Jason Porterfield insightfully points out for us, he says, Jesus' lament is the interpretive key to Holy Week. And think about this. His lament suggests that the events of Holy Week are best understood when viewed through the lens of peacemaking. It encourages us to see the central struggle of Holy Week as a struggle for peace. Now back to Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Let's consider what else was likely happening at the same time Jesus is being heralded like a king down one road through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. Some scholars believe that Jesus would have known that on the first day of Passover, someone else was also coming into town to keep the peace. They called that the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So this other leader is coming in during Passover of Jew, this Jewish festival, which, get this, commemorated God's deliverance of Israel from slavery and freedom from the oppressive Egyptian empire. Now, why would this festival make the Roman Empire nervous? Well, it's, it's not too hard to figure that one out. The Roman prefect Pontius Pilate was scheduled to travel down from Caesarea Maritima, his coastal palace and military center, and arrive through the western gate to flex Rome's imperial muscles and discourage any violent revolts during Passover, the largest and most sacred Jewish holiday that Pilate knew had a history of producing riots, rebellions, and revolts. So here's an image I've shown before to help us imagine what that scene might have looked like on Palm Sunday. You can see to the right of the image here, Jesus coming from Bethany, where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He comes over the Mount of Olives through the eastern gate. If you look at the top of that graphic, see where Pilate comes through the western, northwestern gate from Caesarea, which is is known as the, the fish gate. Is it possible, is it possible that these two processions were happening at the same time? Now, we don't know that for sure, but that's a thought. Or maybe Jesus comes riding in on a donkey right after Pilate's grand interest. Think, think, think about the contrast. 
Now listen to how New Testament scholars Marcus Borg and John Dominican Crossan described this Roman parade into Jerusalem in their book, The Last Week. They said it was a visual panoply of imperial power. Calvary on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold, sounds, the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, some resentful. And to help us envision the contrast of power and what constituted his peace on Palm Sunday, look at these two images right next to each other. Look at the contrast between the Roman parade of law and order and power over and Jesus' counter-procession of peace and power under. Folks, Jesus, he knew what he was doing that day. What he did, he did on purpose. And surely we can't help but notice that the image on the right is intended, intended to be a bit ridiculous in contrast to Pilate's procession. In fact, the counter-procession of Jesus looks downright silly, powerless, and vulnerable to those captivated by earthly power and violence to bring about peace. This act of Jesus was aimed at those who think real power looks like conquering heroes on horseback with the glory of their entourage. It was intended to communicate that real power isn't about threats, about brutal force and military might. Instead, his arrival into Jerusalem is a flat-out denouncement of worldly kingdom thinking that salvation comes by the sword. Folks, think about it. Think about it with me. As Crossan points out, Jesus rode quote, the most unthreatening, most unmilitary mount imaginable, a female nursing donkey with her little colt trotting alongside beside her. Is it a bit comedic? Yes. Is it a bit prophetic? Certainly. But it's also wholly reflective, you see, of God's true character and the ways of his kingdom to which we've been called as peacemakers. It's entirely consistent with everything that we have seen up to this point with how Jesus wages peace. But again, this is not what his fans and followers wanted, is it? They kept hoping that he would be the kind of military Messiah that they had always dreamed of. And that they have had before in, say, King David or in Judas Maccabeus, also known as the Hammer of God. You know, you can read about Judas Maccabeus in what Protestants call the apocryphal books between the histories of the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, the Catholics have these apocryphal books in their Bible between the Old and New Testament. First and Second Maccabees, specifically, is what we're referring to here. In about 167 B.C., when the Seleucid Empire ruled over Israel, the son of an old rebellious priest was commissioned by his father, who was on his deathbed, to avenge their people and pay back the Gentiles in full for what they had done. 
Judas did just that. He was so successful, so fierce in battle that they gave him the nickname Maccabeus, which means the hammer. And when Judas recaptured Jerusalem and he made his way back into the city to cleanse the temple which they had desecrated, his followers celebrated by doing what? That's right, waving palm branches. And so when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on Sunday, the waving of palm branches there was a symbol of their quest for independence. It represented their nationalist aspirations. It was like a waving a separatist movement's flag. It was a way of saying, Jesus will bring the hammer once again. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus will set us free from Roman occupation. Jesus will be our liberator. This is what the crowd wanted from Jesus that day. You get the picture? Can you put yourself in their shoes? Now see it again. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. You see, Jesus did come to bring peace, God's shalom. He did come as a savior and liberator, but not in the way that people expected, not in the way that some of his followers still want him to come today. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus wasn't the hammer of God. As John the Baptist declared in the waters of the Jordan, and then John the Apostle again testified to in his vision of the heavenly throne room in the book of Revelation, Jesus is altogether different. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God. You see, in our our Lord's commitment to God's shalom on Holy Week, in Holy Week, will lead him to the cross. So let's stop this first day of the week and see where it's all going. My friends, the cross of Christ, please hear this, is not a result of God setting aside his true character so that the Son of God can die for our sins only to come back later as a violent king. I don't know how many times I was taught that growing up with an evangelicalism. That somehow that what Jesus is doing there in Holy Week and on Good Friday is merely a guise. It's Jesus simply setting aside the violence so that he could die for our sins. But what if what Jesus is doing is showing us what God is like, what God has always been like? We've not always known it, but we know it now in the incarnation of Christ. Consider the thought, or as one person once asked me that set me on my Anabaptist journey, what if Jesus really meant what he said? It's a thought that we need to be confronted with. It's a thought that each of us needs to wrestle with, especially today when we seek to justify violence. You see, no, the cross The cross is not that, what some of us were taught. The cross is the quintessential expression of what God is really like. And the cross is what happened to the spotless Lamb of God because of our sins. One of which is our misplaced trust and peace that comes by a hammer. 
And so on the first day of Holy Week, let us look ahead to Good Friday, which Jesus no doubt would have seen coming. As Jesus was committed to the way of the Father, the way of peace, this way he had been walking since he stepped foot into the Jordan River. It was always going to end this way by living this way. Think about it. This is why Jesus also weeps for us who do not understand the things that make for peace. And before we close this message this morning with some questions as we typically do, each week in this Lenten series, I'm going to give us some lessons in peacemaking, which Jason Porterfield does in his book, based on what we've seen for that particular day in Holy Week, which we've covered. So real quick, here are three lessons or takeaways for us from Palm Sunday. Lesson number one, Christ-like peacemakers move toward conflict, not away from it. Did you notice that? Jesus knew what he was getting himself into. Jesus could, could see the signs of where things were going, yet Jesus still purposely, intentionally pursued peace and confronted the conflict. He faced it with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, with the Zealots and with others. Jesus moved toward conflict, not away from it. Lesson number two, we see that Christ-like peacemakers extend peace to everyone. Right? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Eyes to see, let them see. How many times do we hear Jesus say this sort of thing? The invitation is for all to receive Christ's way of peacemaking and to extend that peace to everyone. When Jesus dies on that cross, as we'll see on Good Friday, he died for all. The invitation is for us all to put down the sword, to take up the cross to receive his way of making peace. And lesson number three, Christ-like peacemakers follow the way of the lamb, as we said, not the way of the hammer. Folks, the way of the hammer is what put Jesus on the cross. And in order to take up the cross, we must put the hammer down. Amen. Finally, here's some questions for personal reflection to help us respond to what the Spirit is saying to us through the message this morning. I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect on this with the Lord and encourage you to listen to the voice of the Lord as you do that. Number one, ask yourself this. Do I move toward conflict or away from it? Do I move toward conflict or away from it? It might help you to think about what's going on in your own life here recently. How is God inviting me to be a peacemaker where his shalom is absent? Yes, I know the easy thing to do would be to run from it, to avoid it. And some of us do that really well. Or to bring a hammer to the party. But rather, what is Jesus saying to us this morning about moving toward the conflict to make peace and about bringing shalom where it is absent. Let's reflect on that. Number two, do I want everyone, now be honest, 
be honest with yourself, do I want everyone, friends and foes, to know God's shalom? When you're taking in media and you see certain people or groups of people, it just angers you. Do you want them to know the shalom of God? Do you want them to be saved? Jesus invites us to put on the same attitude that he had. Am I seeking the well-being of all people everywhere? You might just bring that home. Bring it home to your workplace. Bring it home to the four walls of the house you live in. Am I seeking the well-being of all people everywhere? Folks, there's a reason why Jesus said, if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and do as he has done. Lastly, number three, do I embrace the way of the lamb or of the hammer? Now, for some of us, and those of us that would identify as Anabaptists or been in the Brethren in Christ church for a long time, we embrace the peace value. You might say, at least in theory or in your head, you can affirm that. But what about in your day-to-day life? What about in your, your speech? What about in your thoughts, as Jesus wants to draw our attention to in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you embrace the way of the Lamb or of the hammer? And how is the Spirit calling you to accept God's way of peacemaking? Let's pray. Father, as we come into this Lenten series, we need your help to open ourselves up to the shalom of God. Lord, there is so much to overcome. There is, of course, our flesh what, what we want to do, what we've been conditioned to think, to want to do. And Lord, for some of us, some really bad readings of the Bible. Holy Spirit, in your power, would you help us to sit with Jesus this morning who says, I want to bring peace, but you will not receive it. If you only knew the things that make for peace. Lord, we want to know. Lord, would you teach us? Help us to see the power in the cross over the power of the sword. Help us to put to rest in the grave the myth of redemptive violence so that we can see the only true way to overcome evil is with good. And that good always, always looks like you. Fathers, we said and prayed in the beginning, your servants are listening. Would you speak to us? Help us to respond to your voice with obedience. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.